Welcome to the Mortcast. Before we get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, restrictions are being lifted. Uh, if you are comfortable, if you are at ease, you can make your way down to Blanchard Family Wines for some socially distant uh, uh, wine drinking uh, down at the dairy block. Uh, I'm standing outside right now, as you can tell from the birds chirping. Um, the weather for the next two days is going to be just superb. So if you want to do it and do outside and go hang out with a friend, I suggest you do it. Um, if you're not, if you're like me and you can't do it, um, but uh, you still like the wine, go to bfwdenver.com. Get yourself a bottle of the 2017 Cabernet. I'll get yourself a a bottle of their Pinot, because these are Sonoma County grapes from California. Obviously, that's the specialty, but, you know, you can also get wine. You could also get, like, uh, white wines. You can get blends. Uh, they have partnerships with Western Slope Wineries, uh, Restoration Storm Cellars, and one in the Elk Mountains. I uh, highly suggest you check those out. They really are a local business here in Colorado, and they really do need your support, like all local businesses. Uh, go to bfwdenver.com also and book your virtual wine tasting. Uh, those are extremely popular, so I would uh, uh, kind of plan ahead if you uh, want to get one of those. Uh, once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Go to bfwdenver.com, book your virtual wine tasting, or get your delivery, your uh, shipment, or your curbside pickup down at the dairy block. When you go in or you talk to him, tell him Jeff Morton from CHG Podcast sent you. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Uh, I took last week off. I decided to uh, take a break, uh, give my voice a break. I recorded a Gen X music show yesterday, uh, and that'll be up sometime this week. And today, uh, I had to record a Mortcast before I record uh, a CSG special tomorrow with Vic Lombardi. Look for look forward to that one. Um, I had to record this today because what I saw on display in the second half of a, of the Atlanta game was a collective, I wouldn't say failure, but a collective, um, inability to realize the situation. And what was frustrating to me as the Nuggets lost to the Atlanta Hawks, um, was a lack of understanding where the Nuggets are. And I think more than anything right now, it's been frustrating to me as I've communicated to you on this podcast for this entire Nugget season, is that there is something greater having to go on with this year. And the only person who doesn't seem to realize it is Michael Malone. And maybe to a certain extent, uh, Nicole Jokic, but Jokic is just playing out of his mind. You cannot blame him for thinking this is great. I don't think Jokic looks at this year as wasted, considering the Nuggets are 16 and 14. Uh, they're not. I think they're in eighth place uh, in the Western Conference. I mean, if you look at it through the frame of last year, you think, "Oh God, what a terrible disappointment." But you need to take th- some things into context. And before I get to my main point, let me bring the horse back into the stall and kind of give people, once again, if you haven't been listening to this podcast, let me bring some context to the situation. The Nuggets' approach to this year really has been shaped in the last two off-seasons, um, even though 
this was sandwiched in between them going to, miraculously, albeit, going to the Western Conference Finals last year in a very special and unique circumstance, mind you. The Nuggets, uh, at the end of the 2019 season where they lost to Portland in the second round, uh, Tim Connolly spoke and he said, why wouldn't someone want to come to Denver as far as free agency goes? And from all indications that I've heard from multiple sources, the Nuggets really did try to get some free agents to, to, to find their way to Denver. Uh, that did not happen. Um, the Denver Nuggets were uh, left not being able to get on the stage. A lot of that was explained because they need to have more sustained success. I, I even talked about it on this podcast. They need to have more sustained success in order for them to be on the, a, a player in that area. Um, there was obviously Kawhi Leonard available that year. There was uh, multiple players available at the same time. Didn't happen. And the Nuggets ended up trading for Jeremy Grant, which was at the time, and I said it on this podcast once again, that it was a good trade. And I still think that was. Uh, they sent a a, a, a late first-round pick to the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder to get it. And uh, I think they did a good job with that. I would, I would do that trade 10 times out of 10. Uh, he was in the last year of his deal. So the Nuggets go through last year. They are up and down. They start off great. They get, they get hit with injuries, and they muddle through the rest of the year. And by the time the, the break happened... The Nuggets were actually scuffling a lot. I think they had lost five of their last seven by the time the break happened, which uh, I, I said this at the time, but I think the break benefited the Nuggets more than <laughs> most of those teams because they weren't, they weren't playing great. Um, they get into the bubble. Obviously, everyone knows what happens. The seeding games are kind of muddled through because they didn't have a full roster. And then they get to Utah, get down 3-1, playing terrible defense, yada, yada, yada. We all know what happened. Uh, two, three, one comebacks later, the Nuggets are in the Western Conference Finals and lose to the Lakers. Um, this next offseason was pivotal. Uh, a lot of chips were put into Jeremy Grant's basket. And to say the Nuggets were stunned uh, that, that Grant chose to go to Detroit despite getting the same, getting his money matched was. Uh, Obviously, that, that, that was something that they, they were not expecting, and it shook them. Um, so a lot of scrambling was done. They signed Jermichael Green. They ended up signing Faku Campasso. And they get a couple of draft picks, Zeke Naji, R.J. Hampton. Um, they, they, they also get, uh, uh, you know, they, they get a second-round pick. They, they, they just do what they could with the chips they were dealt. And I and if you guys recall into that last this last season, I was talking about the Nuggets did what they could, but all they did with Jermichael Green was get a good player, not someone who could replace what Jeremy Grant did. Uh, what you are seeing this year is a result of that. Uh, Jeremy Grant was able to play next to Michael Porter Jr. Um, and was able to. I wouldn't say compensate, but he was able to work in tandem with Porter in certain situations. Porter is an a, a, a unfinished product. He still has not played 82 games in his career. Um, there's where this is where he's at. Um, it is it is what it is. Uh, but this year, 
Jermichael Green gets injured, uh, you know, and by the time he gets injured, he's not having a good year. Uh, his end of, uh, by the, excuse me, I take that back. He was having a good year, but these last two weeks, uh, specifically before his injury, Jermichael Green was getting worse and worse. And it culminated in that two-foul ending at the end of the Washington game, uh, which cost the Nuggets the game. And what happened there was something that we were seeing the value, I guess, in a sense, to the Jeremy Grant to this team, a guy who could play exactly like that. Um, this is the kind of prototypical player that you want next to uh, Nikola Jokic if you're going to play in the style the Nuggets have been playing since 2017. A lot of instructive things happened last night. Now I'm going to bring this forward to, to tonight, the last night. Um, a lot of instructive things happened that then you know the Nuggets weren't involved in. Uh, first and foremost, it was Chris Finch, uh, the architect of the 2016-17 offense, the guy who really was responsible for unlocking Nikola Jokic. Uh, that uh, he got uh, was hired away from Toronto to the Minnesota Timberwolves in a very unusual firing hiring um, that happened within. 15 minutes of each other. Um, Obviously, Chris Finch was uh, uh, highly thought of when he was here in Denver by most people. Uh, Certain key people didn't seem to like him. But there there was, I mean, I think even on Denver Stiffs, we had a couple, this was when I was still at Stiffs, uh, we had a couple articles just praising how Chris Finch kind of, just unlocked, was the guy who showed Nikola Jokic the way and how you can build a team around Nikola Jokic. And the following season, 17-18, he did the same with the uh, the Boogie Cousins, uh, Anthony Davis uh, thing in New Orleans with uh, Alvin Gentry. The guy just is smart, great basketball player. Uh, the Nuggets have not played that way since 2017. Uh, they, this Nuggets team has been fundamentally different. And if you looked at highlights from 2016-17, Daniel Gallinari was still here, Wilson Chandler was still here. Um, that Nuggets team was different. That Nuggets team uh, was high-powered offensively, not very good defensively. Uh, the Nuggets this year are actually okay offensively and not very good defensively. Um, last night you saw the guards just not be able to keep contained. And I think one of the fundamental problems Michael Malone has had through his time as a Denver coach is he gets fixated on one player being the sole cause of everything. And it's hard for him to deviate from that mindset. Uh, Like a lot of things uh, with Michael Malone. Uh, As that person in the NBA told me once, you have to hit him over the head with a frying pan about eight times before he gets it. And this could be another example of this. Um, the Nuggets were down by eight points going into the going into the um, uh, third quarter from halftime. Uh, there was a 16-second rage timeout, which was a record for Malone. I, I, I think that was no. I think he took he took a he once took a timeout six seven six seconds before a quarter was going to end, like a, like, like the first quarter I remember. But this, this, like, in terms of to start a game, uh, thing was, like, I think it was a record. Um, obviously, it had the opposite effect of, its, of whatever he was trying to desire there. And the Nuggets kind of, 
crapped the bed, ended up being at one point down by 21, and just never got back in the game. The guards were atrocious. They have never seen such poor defense from guards before. It was happened. It was, it was from the first quarter to the fourth quarter. The guards were terrible. Um, the person who got titularly blamed for it was Michael Porter Jr. Now, Michael Porter Jr. is not a great defensive player. Um, Michael Porter Jr. is not a player who uh, you're going to put out there to be a defensive stopper. He's a guy who has a long way to go to be a fully formed NBA player. I think everyone who has watched him play acknowledges that he's got some rough patches, and he's been going through it. Um, What I saw last night was Malone wildly flailing and not coming to the solution. And he fixated on the guy that wasn't the problem. And I think that is where I have the biggest complaint um, about what he, what happened yesterday, what happened last night. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. was taken out uh, after he played, I think, about a grand total of six minutes uh, in the third quarter. Didn't get back in the game. Uh, after the game, Malone explained, well, he just was looking for guys that were going to give him energy, blah, 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 and it wasn't just one guy. Um, that was a very, let me just be blunt about it, that was a terrible answer. Not only was that a terrible answer, it, it basically served the purpose of singling out the guy who wasn't really the problem. And I, this is where I'm going to circle back to the point I made a couple minutes ago. Malone seems to fixate on guys. On, on singularly on guys. Michael, Michael Porter Jr. was coming into this year needing to be probably having more pressure on him than needed to be. Um, he is a player, like, once again, has not, has not even played 82 games in his professional career. And the microscope is big, it is large, it is, like, like I said, unfair to him. But part of it, part of it is Malone's over-the-top reactions to everything Porter does. And last night was the culmination of this. And I think people don't understand, particularly people who are very vocal supporters of Michael Malone, do not understand his, his body language and his um, overall demeanor have a very large effect on the way players are perceived, the way players look. Um, he cannot help himself but be the way he is, and sometimes the way he is uh, is to the detriment of what they're trying to accomplish. He can't help himself. He is who he is. In a low-pressure situation like when he came in in 2014, excuse me, 2015, when he came in in 2015, his job was basically to guide the ship, uh, develop Gary Harris, Develop, eventually developed Nikola Jokic. Initially, it was to develop the use of Nurkic, uh, but those were the simple tasks, and he did well. Once we got to a Nuggets being a contending team, he was able to rally, help guys rally um, in, in a good way. Last year, uh, once he lightened up in the first round, um, the Nuggets responded to it, and they responded to him and, and Jamal Murray, really. Really, that was the key there in that particular series. The next series, it was Nikola Jokic. So, I saw that game yesterday, and 
my takeaway, and I watched it again this morning, and my takeaway is Malone doesn't understand how he conveys things. And I think, I think this is something that is going to have to evolve with him or he's going to be not long for having an NBA career, regardless of whether it works out here in Denver or not. Um, his body language was awful, absolutely awful yesterday. The rage timeout was counterproductive uh, coming out of the third quarter, um, coming into the third quarter. Excuse me. It was, it was, it was terrible. Um, it, he is not a guy who can get away with that. Um, and the Nuggets didn't respond to it. And he doesn't, the problem with Malone is that he, he, he sees it as a, if they just give me this, it's like my Brian Shaw back in the day said, well, these guys need to give me effort. And I always, my thing about effort is the, the, the quote effort thing is basically a lazy coach bromide, right? You can always go back on effort when you don't really know what's going on. I think Malone actually believes it. Um, the problem here is this. The Nuggets, as I've explained over and over, they have no choice but to develop Michael Porter Jr. They're stuck. As I pointed out earlier, a lot of the events of the last two off-seasons have pointed to where the Nuggets couldn't make a big move outside of the way they're drafting and developing. Michael Porter Jr. was a gem that fell to them in 2018 by complete, you know, twist of physical fate. Um, and he sat out that 2018-19 year, only got a little bit of playing time the following year, and is getting more this year. Problem being, uh, he is not a fully formed basketball player, and it's going to take time. One wonders how much Malone's fixation on sometimes thinking one guy is the root of all problems is going to come back and bite him and bite the nuggets. If there, if I could talk to Michael Malone on a personal level, I would tell him the only thing I would change is how you, your demeanor, your demonstrative body language, the way you kind of kind of get into a prisoner of the moment situation with these gains hurts more than it helps. And this year has not been a shining example of Michael Malone's coaching. Not in a, quote, coaching sense, but in a guiding the ship sense. Um, Then this team really is going to need a steady pulse, and he has been unable to be that steady pulse. And I don't know if he can ever change. His next evolution as a coach is, is, is going to be a one to where he uh, lowers his own temperature. There was no reason for Michael Porter Jr. to sit a quarter and a half to, to end the game. There just wasn't. If the, if the team was behind by 20, you put him out there to get some confidence. If, the, if you think uh, you need some scorer, scoring, you put him out there because you need some scoring. Uh, he wasn't terrible defensively. In fact, he wasn't the reason they were giving up points. It was entirely the guards. And uh, Nikola Jokic was having a really his first really awful game of the year. But the tunnel vision was there. And it's clear on rewatch that he couldn't not see it. Um, Will Barton had one of the worst defensive games I've ever seen. 
I, it, it was it was awful. And it wasn't the back line in which at that point Michael Porter Jr. was the back line. It wasn't that. It, it really wasn't Nikola Jokic. It, and, but it really was kind of Zeke Nagy having a bad game because he's a rookie. It was uh, Faku Campasso. It was it was uh, Jamal Murray. It was Lonnie Morris. You know, R.J. Hampton didn't even get in until garbage time. Tunnel vision. And it seemed like Malone had that tunnel vision, right? He needs to understand Michael Porter Jr. is not a fully formed product. And it reminded me of when uh, he benched Nikola Jokic in a game against Dallas in 2017. And I, I, Jokic wasn't having a great game, but Jokic was clearly the best player by then, right? Sometimes you mean to make an example. That worked to an extent. This wasn't that, though. This wasn't a, I'm going to prove a point thing. This was. This appeared to be, for all intents and purposes, like Malone didn't know why, outside of the guards, the defense was so bad, and decided through process of elimination that Michael Porter Jr. was somehow the, 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 the responsible culprit even though he wasn't. Tunnel vision. And I don't... I, I hope for Michael Malone, his next evolution is getting out of that tunnel vision and understanding that it's not always going to be the way you perceive it. All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the ZC Network. I'll be back soon with another episode. Goodbye.